0: my research group, we study medicinal plants specifically in the search for new therapies to treat deadly infectious disease. There are 33,000 species of plants on earth that have been documented as being used in some form of medicine. That's 9% of all plants on earth. So there's tremendous amount of knowledge that's um, that's been founded in this domain.
1: Today on 2036 The Podcast, we'll be hearing from Cassandra Quay a medical ethnobotanist and curator of the Emory University Herbarium. Joining the conversation is Cutler Cannon, a pre-medical linguistic student and research assistant with the Quave Research Group. Their work at Emory explores the use of botanical ingredients in the treatment of infectious diseases and the prevention of antibiotic resistance. I'm Munir McJohnny, president of the Emory University Alumni Board, and I'll be your host for this episode. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the 2036 Podcast Experience. I am Munir McJohnny, President of the Emory University Alumni Board, and I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Cassandra Quave and Cutler Cannon. Thank you and welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: Dr. Quave is a medical ethnobotanist whose work focused on the documentation and analysis of botanical remedies used in treatment of infectious diseases. She holds a joint appointment as Associate Professor of Dermatology in the Emory University School of Medicine and Emory Center for the Study of Human Health, where she leads drug discovery research initiatives and teaches courses on medicinal plants, food, and health. Dr. Quave also serves as the curator for the Emory University Herbarium, where she leads the Quave Research Group. Cutler Cannon is a fourth-year student at Emory University and a member of the Quave Research Group. Where he serves as a phytochemistry research assistant. He is responsible for processing raw plant material and preparing plant extracts. He is also a pre-medical linguistics student. Very impressive resumes. And for those of you who can't see them, uh, Dr. Quave has on a flowery mask and Cutler has come well prepared with a flower t-shirt as well. So representing their department very well here today. Uh, Dr. Paev, I want to start with you. Can you describe for us who aren't in this field the work that you're doing at the herbarium and some of your current goals?
0: Yeah, so as an ethnobotanist, I'm really interested in the ways that people use plants, and ethnobotany has really been defined as a science of survival. So it's the use of plants for food, for shelter, for clothing, tools, but also for medicine. And so in my research group, we study medicinal plants specifically in the search for new therapies to treat deadly infectious disease.
1: And how old is this science? Like, has this been going on in some extent forever, but then maybe in a scientific way? How new is this?
0: You know, the, the term was coined in the 1800s, but really, you know, explorers have been Looking for new ingredients for a very long time. I think the difference in the scientific study today is that there are many more ethics involved, right? It's not this exploitative kind of endeavor. Instead, we build real collaborations with communities and with scientists in different countries.
1: Interesting. And so I'm curious, right? So as someone of, you know, South Asian descent, my parents used so many things of herbal kind of nature. My late grandfather, you know, kind of jokingly was a pharmaceutical guy who used to kind of do a lot of these, you know, was very involved in this. How did those individuals without the science that we have today know so much about these plants and nature and their healing capacities, right? Was, was it just intuitive? What was it? Do you know back in the day?
0: I mean, I think humans have always been experimentalists, right? And when you're embedded in nature, when you live in nature, when you depend on your knowledge of nature to ensure your survival, you're observing how animals use plants also as medicine, which animals do, by the way. They also use medicinal plants. And you try it sometimes on your livestock and then sometimes on you. And the things that work are passed down from generation to generation. Um, And that's kind of how we've built up this large body of traditional knowledge there are 33,000 species of plants on Earth wow. that have been documented as being used in some form of medicine. That's 9% of all plants on Earth. So there's tremendous amount of knowledge that's, um, that's been founded in this domain.
1: That, I just want that to sink in for everybody. 33,000 species of plants only making up 9% that have been used in this, in this kind of field. That's really phenomenal.
0: Yeah, 9% of all plants on Earth wow. are used medicinally.
1: Uh, Cutler, can you describe a little bit about your experience being a student researcher and how does this unique experience really impact, you know, and influence your long-term goals?
2: I think for me, what has been really phenomenal about being able to get in the lab is just kind of as like a science student, like we're expected to write all these papers and cite all these sources and look at these results. But being in the lab, you're actually kind of seeing what like how those results came to fruition. So I'm getting that practical knowledge, especially for a field that's so niche and a field that's so important, like we were talking about, you know, just in the last conversation, how knowledge is passed from generation to generation. And one of the reasons it's become such an important and urgent field is because, for example, because it's passed from generation to generation, if you consider these communities that don't speak English, for example, and speak these very indigenous languages that are dying, um, there's all this knowledge loss because they're not documenting these information. Some of these languages were there... And like my experience in the Amazon this last summer where they speak quichua, only like 450,000 people speak quichua. and their language isn't written very much. They just speak about it. And so there's all this knowledge loss from generation to generation. So being in the lab and like contributing to this research makes me feel like really motivated for the future and like seeing how this field is invigorated towards this light at the end of the tunnel for drug discovery.
1: I think it's wonderful how you're about, you're, you're able to kind of keep their stories alive, right, for generations to come and make sure that we've got this historic knowledge to really kind of improve our world in so many different ways. So with that kind of thought about community and storytelling, right, what do you say to individuals and what are some of the more common misconceptions about ethnobotany, like folks who say this is a pseudoscience, like how does that happen and how does that impact your work as well?
0: Well I mean I think the first misconception is that ethnobotany is only about psychedelics. I get asked about cannabis, about <laughs> peyote, about ayahuasca all the time and those are fabulous plants. They do amazing things to the mind, right? And are important parts of 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 ritual in many in many different cultures and ritual healing. But ethnobotany is about much more than psychedelics and in our work, I mean, we've really made breakthroughs in understanding how some of these traditional medicines work to treat infections. And that knowledge is being returned not only back to the healers that shared that knowledge with us and with those communities, but we're all also trying to push that tech that those discoveries forward into the clinic in the future. And so I think there, ethnobotany is about a lot more than those things. And another misconception, of course, derives from all of the hype and kind of marketing gimmicks around certain herbals, especially stemming from the way that herbs are regulated in the U.S. We need a voice of science in this field, and this is why I've gotten more active, more proactive in science communication. It takes a lot of energy to do that, to really engage with the public, but I think it's just so incredibly important because people want to use plants as medicine, but they're not always given the right information. And so that's one of the things I'm trying to do is, is, is spread more science around botanicals.
1: So I think that's such an important fact, right? I was sharing before we started the podcast that, you know, again, being South Asian, my parents think you know, turmeric can solve anything, right? From a broken bone to cancer, they're like, put some turmeric on it and you'll be fine. And Cutler rightfully pointed out that you gotta make sure you take it with some black pepper. But now with that, you walk into any grocery store and there is 80 different forms of turmeric or turmeric, right, that they will sell you. How does one go about figuring out this is the real stuff, this is what will impact me versus this is more of a marketing gimmick that just has the same color?
0: That's really tough. I mean, I tend to go back to the actual plant. So, when I use turmeric at home, I use it in its fresh form. When I use herbal teas, I often grow. I like to grow plants, um, and so I'll make my own herbal tea from those at the same time, there are reputable vendors out there that you know have products that are trustworthy, and there's just not a simple response of of, of how to follow it. I think that the ones that you really need to watch out for are the ones that are promising just amazing results, and especially around the area of weight loss and around the area of, you know, male performance, right? Because some of these are, you know, like herbal Viagra has become a problem. You find this at gas stations and it's not actually herbal. It actually contains sildenafil or compounds that are structurally similar to sildenafil, which is the compound that makes Viagra in those. So they're adulterated and that's a big problem. The DA is constantly trying to fight to get those fraudulent products off the market. But I think in general, You know, I always advise my students, if you'd like to engage more with plants and plant medicines in your life, start with having some herbal teas. I love Tulsi, which is a Thai basil awesomum sanctum, which is a wonderful plant. I love turmeric, you know, golden milk is a a great thing to make at home. So there's a lot of ways that you can incorporate plants into your diet to help boost your health.
1: And you recently launched a book, as a matter of fact, this week, The yes, Plant Hunter. Plant Hunter. What can individual finds in that? You know, is that going to kind of tell me, kind of help me on this journey of figuring out how to be more natural and figuring out how to kind of deal with some of these issues?
0: I mean, The Plant Hunter is a science memoir. So it's a story of how I became a scientist in the field that I work in. But I also tried to really integrate lessons about plants. And my hope is that readers will walk away with a greater appreciation for where many of our medicines come from and a greater desire to actually just connect with nature. So many of us are so disconnected and that's something we try and do in class too and it's a little bit challenging now with covid we don't have as many tasting experiments but we do try and do some demos to get students thinking about how, you know, how we can really have experiences, sensory experiences with plants.
1: So with that said, what are some of the most urgent needs that your work addresses right now?
0: I mean, we're working on two major urgent needs. The first is antimicrobial resistance. So we're making headway in the, in the search for new compounds that can either restore the activity of existing lines of antibiotics and other compounds that work by blocking virulence or the ability of bacteria to cause harm. We've also jumped into you know the, the fight against COVID-19 and have tested all of our extracts in our library and come up with three that look potentially promising, but these are very early studies and we're running a lot of additional tests on safety and also viability in our live virus models. So that's new data, hasn't been published yet, but I'm really excited about where that's going.
1: Yeah, definitely very interesting to see these more natural kind of ways to be able to heal our body as well. So Cutler, looking into real world effects and things into the future, right? Where do you see this field going? How do you see this kind of impacting, let's say in 2036, where do you think this is?
2: So I think that in 2036, I mean, I've seen a lot of movement in medicine towards this shift in natural therapies and like how Dr. Quave kind of pointed on marketing and how a lot of it can actually be kind of dangerous sometimes, because if there's not this literature of science backing up these benefits of plants, if we we're talking about in our botanical medicine class, that natural isn't always better. There's just as many poisonous plants as there are beneficial plants. And there's Sometimes plants that, for example, have anti inflammatory effects that could be beneficial, but could also have this very negative effect on the body. So I think in 2036, we need to develop this literature that is sifting through these traditional therapies to determine if they're safe, first of all, and if we can actually apply them to modern medicine. And I know um, Dr. Quave has been talking about how the antimicrobial resistance is a very urgent problem in the United States because currently there's 700,000 deaths a year to antimicrobial resistance. But because we are having such issues with antibiotics failing, that by 2050, they're projecting that 10 million people will die per year to antimicrobial resistance. So by 2036, and by backing this very niche research field at Emory, we're going to be able to establish this foundation and really Put this headway and this motivation and this momentum towards really preventing that from happening.
1: Yeah. Well, I know we're definitely grateful to have individuals like you at the forefront of this field. Dr. Quave, I'll I'll leave us with one last question. For folks who are here, for folks who are listening in, what is one thing that they could do today where they could go back some easy step to get started into this world?
0: Well, there's two steps. Number one is finding verified sources of information. I'll make a plug also for my podcast. It's called Foodie Pharmacology. If you're interested in understanding the relationship between food and medicine, I have amazing guests on that show, including the recent laureate for the Nobel Prize in Medicine, who spoke to us about um, his work on capsaicin and pain receptors. So that can be found on all podcast streaming platforms. The other advice is really, you know, the, the challenge that I would give them to them today is to make a former a relationship with a plant today. Go out hug a tree, sit in the grass, look at some different plants, try and find out what the name of that plant is, read up a little bit on how it's been used in the past. Maybe you know, as a tree, maybe it's been used to build canoes. Maybe it's used as a source of timber, maybe it's a source of medicine. But I think we can't really fully appreciate the value that nature holds for us until we actually make the effort to get to know the organisms that we live around.
1: I love that. Thank you both. And thank you for everyone here and everyone joining us virtually. We will leave you with the challenge of forming a relationship with the plant today. Thank you both again. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Cassandra Quave and Cutler Cannon. You can learn more about their work and find more stories from 2036 at 2036.emory.edu. That's 2036.emory.edu. This podcast was developed and produced in partnership with Ideas United and Emory's Division of Advancement and Alumni Engagement. This episode was edited by Ramsey Yunt and contains music by Cymatics and Denise. I am Munir McJani, president of the Emory Alumni Board.